I am Ryan Jacobson, and I get to be the missions director here at Alamo Heights. Hi, Chris. And I want to welcome you all to B-Team Sunday. This is the Sunday that all of the head pastors and worship leaders take a break. So you get to hear from people like me and Matt and Matt Scott over in the other side. But uh, let's jump right in. <laughs> uh, so welcome to the Christmas season. This is uh, a short 11 days after Advent. It's called the Christmas season on the Christian calendar. And the Christmas season, of course, comes after Advent, as I just said. And Advent is a very busy, busy time of year for those of us that work in the church And I know, for those of you that don't as well. So this morning, I just invite you to sit, to relax, to listen, to hear, to breathe, to rest. To learn a little bit about first century educational policies in Israel. And then, I've got an invitation for you. But first, um, a story. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Harry. And Harry, unfortunately, had his parents lost in a car accident. He was made to stay at that point with his aunts and his uncle and his cousin, a family known as the Dursleys. As Harry grew up, he began to realize that he was a little bit different than the other little boys and girls. He could make things happen. He could manipulate the world around him. He could make glass disappear. Things like this. And he began to wonder what exactly was going on and what was so special about him. On one of his birthdays, um, a very large man came and said to him something that he'd been waiting his whole life to hear. Harry, you're a wizard. And uh, his life changed. He got to go to Hogwarts after this and he grew up and he learned what it was to be the wizard. What it was to live into the man that he would become. To do the things that he was called to do in his world. And it may seem strange to invoke Harry Potter on a Sunday morning for a scripture lesson, but I hope that as I read through this scripture, it may become quite clear why exactly I would do it. Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 40. It is a little long, so hold on to your seats. On the eighth day, when it's time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. They also offered a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a, man in, uh, was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child destined is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. These are the very words of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus, we read in this, had to grow. His parents did the faithful things, the rites, the rituals, the things that would have him grow up to become the Jewish man that he was to become. Jesus had to go through these certain stages of life to become who he was called to become. He had to go through the Jewish educational system. And we can learn a little bit about the way that Jesus grew up because we have some first century context and we have some knowledge of what happened in those days and at that time in that place. So a little bit today about school. Much like our schools today, it was split up. We've got elementary, middle, high school, things like that today. Back then, the first stage of school was called Beit Sefer. Beit means house. And Sefer means scroll or book. So it's the house of the scroll or the house of books. Children would start going, boys and girls, at about the age of five, much like we start here. And they would go through Beit Sefer until the age of ten. And in Beit Sefer, they would study Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the age of ten, when they were finished with Beit Sefer, these children not only knew the stories of the scripture, but they had every word of these scriptures memorized. All five of those books. The best of the best from Beit Sefer would go on to what is known as Beit Talmud. Now, Beit, again, is house, and Talmud means discipleship or learning. So it's the house of learning or the house of discipleship. These children would start about the age 10. They would go to the age 14 or 15, and they would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So from us, from Genesis to Malachi, completely memorized by the age of 14 or 15. They took it. Very seriously. Again then, the best of the best would go on to what is called Beit Midrash. Midrash means interpretation, so this one, of course, is the house of interpretation. And Beit Midrash looks a little bit differently. At this point, you're not just going to school and coming back home to mom and dad. But at this point, you're almost adopted by a rabbi. If you were a part of the best of the best, then you got to do this. And just to say, there was no honor if you weren't the best of the best at Scripture. There was very, very much honor in going and learning your family trade and becoming a fisherman or becoming a stone worker or something like that. But those that did have the gift for the text got to go on to this level. What they did is they would sit under this rabbi, is what it was called, and they would want to know what the rabbi knows. But it went far beyond that. They wanted not only to know what the rabbi knows, but they wanted to be who the rabbi was. They, they wanted to do the things that the rabbi did. One of the things that I do as I preach, um, I don't wear any shoes. And the reason for this is that I have a rabbi 
that I disciple under named Scott Hare. And Scott will preach without his shoes. And it is one thing for me to want to copy him and to be like him in that way. But more than just wanting to say, I'm not wearing any shoes, I want to do it for the reasons that he does it. Scott understands his calling to stand in front of the people and preach to be something that is holy. He sees it as an invitation into the holy, much like Moses had with the burning bush. And so much like Moses with the burning bush, he heeds that invitation by taking off his shoes and recognizing that the ground he stands on is holy. And so like my rabbi, I take off my shoes. What I want to do as a disciple is become more and more continually like my rabbi in that relationship with God. So really, we, we want to know what the point of all of this is. What is it that we're growing towards? What is it that Jesus needed to grow towards? And there's a lot of sermons on what you could say Jesus was going towards, but I think at the very basic level, we can say that he was growing towards fulfilling the mission that God had given him, fulfilling the mission of God in this world. Uh, fulfilling the mission of bringing peace and bringing shalom to places of chaos. And so today, I know that the people here are well-educated. I know that people here have grown through many things. I know that a lot of people have personal crises that make them grow. I know that people here have gone through systems of education that make them grow. And as I know that you are all grown, I know that you all either know or are looking for what the purpose is behind it. So I want to invite you guys to join us. Join in some of the ways that we see here at the church, um, how we partner with God in advancing the kingdom of heaven. We have a ton of different opportunities with different people, with different groups. And I just want to highlight a couple of them today, of some of the things that we do. We help people internationally, around the world, and we help people locally Starting in the room right back there, we have what's called the Hope Center. We offer financial assistance. We offer food to those people that need it right here in this neighborhood. And I need help in there. I am not good at keeping the pantry stocked. So if you were someone that likes to keep pantry stocks, likes to organize things like that, I could use your help. We have another ministry, Fishing Under the Bridge, where we send teams of 12 to 15 people every month to go feed homeless people at Haven for Hope. We have a woman, her name is Kathy Love, that's in charge of this. And she says, with a church this size, why are we only doing one day a month? We should be doing more. So if you have an interest in feeding the homeless, come talk to me and we can figure out how to do that. We have another ministry called Jesus Said Love. We send teams of women into strip clubs every month. These women go in, they talk to the people that work in these clubs, and they say, you are loved. You are worth being loved. We have gifts for you. And the kingdom of heaven can reach you even here. We've started a relationship with uh, the people of the Oak Manor apartment complex. Now, this is only about a mile and a half from here. And in this place, we have probably about 100 Somalian refugees that need a lot We've given them Christmas gifts, we've given them school supplies, and we want to do more. Actually, uh, Cindy just told me they're starting a tutoring program. So if you want to tutor children from Somalia, you can do that within a mile of here. We have missions in Mexico. We go almost every month. We support an orphanage that has about 27 kids in it. We have another 
residence that has about 25 to 27 people with special needs. There is a church there that has a feeding program that feeds about 50 children every day. And we're going in February, and we're going in March, and I'd love for you to come. We go to Costa Rica every year. We've been going for five years, and there's a lot of people in here that have come with me. We've recently put together the adult and the youth trip, so this trip is open to everybody. If you're a single adult, if you're a couple, if you're a family, you can all come to uh, Costa Rica. Finally, we have a guy, um, he's a civil engineer here in San Antonio, that has devoted his life and his time to bringing one of the most basic resources to people that don't have it. Bob Nickel um, spends three to four months a year in Kenya, in Mombasa, drilling water wells, giving water to people that don't have water. And we get to do it with him. If anybody bought any of those more items that were on sale during Advent, the proceeds from that stuff went to giving clean water to people. If you want to go to Kenya, and if you want to drill one of these wells, you can do that. We're going in July. If you want to know more about it, come see me on January 11th, after church in the library. As I look around this room, I see a lot of faces that do other things. Um, there's a lot being done. I see there's somebody in here that runs a foster care system out on the northwest side that has, I don't know how many kids you have. You have a lot. They do amazing things. I know that there's a family in here that brought a child and a mother from, was it the Philippines? I don't, I'm not sure. But they brought for life, life-saving surgery. Um, there's a million things going on in this church that I've never heard of that I don't know about, even in my position. And I bless you, and I thank you for the things that you're doing. You people are amazing. But I'd also like to invite those of you that maybe feel like you should do more. I don't want to put shame on you for not doing anything or anything like that, so please don't hear that. I would just like to invite you into some of the things that we do here. Um, Somebody I read this week, his name is Kevin O'Neill, and he's a pastor up in New York. He did a little interview for the New York Times. And in it, he talked about what Christmas was to him and how he defined Christmas. And these are his words. Christmas is really a celebration of the mercy of God who entered the chaos of our world and the people of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Mercy incarnate. I've never found it easy to be with people who suffer, to enter into the chaos of others. Yet every time I have done so, it has been a gift to me. Better than the wrapped and ribbon packages, I am pulled out of myself to be love's presence to someone else, even as they are love's presence to me. So Christmas is a celebration of the mercy of God who chose to enter the chaos of our world. What I'd like to invite you into today is chaos. But not chaos just for the sake of chaos. I'd like to, like to invite you to embrace this chaos and to bring something new to it. To bring peace, to bring order, to bring shalom, to pick up the broken pieces of this world and begin to put them back together. I'd like you to explore where you might be called. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have comments, if you know exactly where you want to be, come talk to me. I will try to help. I will try to find somewhere for you. As the worship team comes back up, I ask you to please pray with me. Holy Father, we love you and we bless you. And we 
Bless your son. It's an amazing thing to make the choice to give up everything that you have in heaven to make yourself human and to be born in a sheepfold. To give up everything to become like one of us. We bless you for entering the chaos of this world, for entering the chaos of our lives in all the ways that you do through your spirit, through your son, through your presence. We ask you, Father, to help us to begin to explore the chaos around us that we might be able to touch, that we might be able to impact, that we might be able to bring peace, that we might be able to bring shalom to. We thank you, Father, for your invitation into joining you and advancing your kingdom. We ask you, Father, that you show us and continue to show us that your kingdom is the only place that we can live with joy and peace that surpasses every understanding. We bless you, Father. We love you. We thank you for who you are and for the opportunities you give us and who you make us to be. In your name, amen.